Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Papardell pushed him over the edge. Mm, I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 108, an episode brought to you by Visit Victoria. Stop number four on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour at the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach commenced the opening round of men's competition over the weekend in scrappy, head-high conditions at Bells Beach. With the mid-year cutoff looming and a challenging forecast ahead of them, the pressure seems elevated at this year's event for the world's best surfers. Opening day standouts included rookie Callum Robson, who today's lineup guest named actually as one to watch when we recorded this episode last week. Uh, 2019 world champion Italo Ferreira, perennial title contender Owen Wright, who needs some big results in the next two events to survive the midseason cutoff. Italian Leonardo Fioravante, who's in the same cutoff territory as Wright. Brazilian rookie Samuel Pupo. Current WSL number one, Kanoa Igarashi, who's been spotted palling around Melbourne this week with F1 driver and Drive to Survive star Yuki Sonoda, Portugal's Frederico Marias, and Australian rookie Jackson Baker. A lot more to come this week, and as always, the event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Also, I mentioned Drive to Survive's Yuki Sonoda has been checking Bells Beach out this week, and it's worth mentioning that last week, the trailer for season one of Box to Box's Make or Break show dropped. The show, which provides a behind-the-scenes look at the world's best surfers, will premiere on April 29th on Apple TV+. And last week, Apple confirmed that his already picked up season two. Box to Box is the same production team that created Netflix's Drive to Survive, and they are world-class storytellers. Uh, I've actually had the privilege of working with them on the Make or Break show, and um, I'll just say that I hope everyone gets a chance to check out season one when it premieres on April 29th. There is some amazing stuff in that show, um, and there's a lot more of it to come. All right, episode 108. Today's guest is someone who hails from the relatively remote Victorian hamlet of Cape Bridgewater, where he was able to quietly develop into one of the state's best surfers ever. A junior standout who then went on to take on the qualifying series, which was highlighted by a QS win in Thurso, Scotland, which I believe gave him some form of lordship. Uh, he then took on the world's best surfers at Bells Beach in 2009, where as a trialist, blitzed through the field and made it to the finals where he would eventually finish runner-up to a peak powers, Joel Parkinson. In recent years, he's taken over the role of CEO for Surfing Victoria, where he's able to nurture the swath of talent coming out of that region. We talk about all this and more, 
Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Australia's Adam Robertson. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. your <laughs> boxing. All right. Well, this is the thrill. We have the state of Victoria's favorite son, a former Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach wildcard and finalist. Uh, I think you're a Scottish lord. We'll get to that in a bit. But also the current Surfing Victoria CEO, Adam Robertson, on the lineup today. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. No worries, Dave. Thanks for having me. Right on. So, so first things first. You know, where are you today? You know, how are you doing? Who are you hanging out with? <laughs> Well, I'm still in Torquay. Uh, I'm the CEO of Surfing Victoria. So we're actually running the operational duties of the Rip Curl Pro. So we're setting up the, the site at the moment. And I pretty much just hang with my family, my wife and my two kids. I have a son, Teddy, who's eight, and my daughter, Violet, who's five. Oh, beautiful. And in, in all of that, you know, with the family duties and getting ready and everything set up for the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, do you get an opportunity to surf on days like this, even if the waves aren't that great? Yeah, look, I, I surf all the time with my son, Teddy, um, and yeah, trying to get my daughter Violet going, which is great. Love it. And yeah, I, I never thought I'd surf a softboard, the, my softboard, the most out of all the boards in my quiver. But yeah, that's the one I'm kind of just paddling around on and helping my kids get some waves, which is awesome. That's very cool. That's very cool. As you mentioned, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, April 5th in the States anyway. It's April 6th where you're at. And this is going to air on April 12th, which is April 13th at Bells, yep. um, which is well within the window for the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, meaning that it's possible that by the time people are listening to this, we've already started competition. You know, you being sort of the the maybe the ultimate local there in a lot of ways. What are you thinking in terms of the forecast and the likelihood of running by the time our conversation airs next week? Looking at, at the forecast, I think we'll probably be, maybe the day this goes out might be the first day we're running, round one. Mm. Um, the forecast at the moment isn't probably what I would see as traditional bells with the line stacked up to the horizon and rolling down Bell's Bowl, but I think from what I'm seeing, we'll be able to use Winky Pup a little bit, um, more from mid-tide to mid-tide um, through the low. But, yeah, hoping hoping for some fun ways for sure. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, to have traveled there for a, a lot of years and experienced um, that event and that region. And, you know, as you said, it it's, might not be a forecast where there's classic lines stacked to the horizon, but it does seem like one of those venues that's almost – inoculated from conditions in a way where where you see actually quite a high level of enthusiasm from the competitors agnostic of the conditions if it's challenging if it's up at Rincon, et cetera et cetera and if, if since you are one of those people that spent the bulk of your life in the region and perhaps you know understand that wave and its many moods better than anyone else for our listeners who have never ever been there how would you describe just the waves and and if you could list them too uh, at Bells Beach how would you describe those to to some of the listeners that have never even been there yeah sure so i guess probably the wave that everyone wants to surf is the Bells Bowl 
typically a low tide wave, best from you know head high to bigger. Uh, I've never sort of seen it close out. Um, it's it can hold up to you know ten or twelve, fifteen foot surf, um, as we saw in eighty one, you know, with Simon testing three pin thruster. That's probably Bell's Bowl is probably the most famous wave in the the little Bell's Reserve there. Um, it's a down the line wave. It's got a lot of slope. Uh, it's not radically steep, but it does move down the reef quite quickly. And it's a it's a really great wave for the the really good technical surfers, open face surfers using their long calves and and using the entire big big wave face. You know, you see over time the best you know big open face surfers have typically gone well at Bells from you know, Simon to Lisa Anderson to Tom Curran, Mick, Joel, Kelly, Matt Hoy, you know, Lane, Steph. So surfers have typically got that uh, really nice power base. Um, the Bells Bowl suits that style of surfing very much. So Rincon is is a break break that sort of breaks maybe 150 metres to the right of Bells, uh, Bells Bowl in the same uh, same bay, it just sort of breaks up against the cliff. Um, it's a high tide wave. You typically want to surf it two hours before high tide. Um, it's a, a super fun little right-hander, sort of historically known as a Goofy's graveyard, but um, <laughs> it is a. It, when it's good, it's a super fun wave. It kind of reminds me of, you know, maybe small trestles or something where you, you get an opportunity to do six or seven turns and you can kind of tee off. And, yeah, I think on the... You know, on the lower end of the tide, when Rincon's not that great, it's it's a really tricky wave to surf. But when it's high tide, when it's lined up, it's a super super fun wave. Uh, and then the other one is Winky Pop. Winky Pop is maybe three hundred to three hundred meters to the left of Bell's Beach in a just a slightly different bay, and um, that sort of rolls down towards Janjuk and Torquay. That is probably a, a more consistent break then bells bells is consistent but winky sort of doesn't need as much swell um and typically maybe more waves break it winky pop uh typically a low tide wave um but still pretty good fun on on most tides and winky pop is probably a little similar to surf in jeffrey's bay in that you, know, you have your sun the sun's in your eyes in the morning um it's a really fast down the line um wave similar turns where you're keeping your speed um, moving down the wave easy to get stuck behind yeah winky pops are fantastic maybe a little more high performance wave than bells and yeah those those are the three sort of main breaks in the lineup that you surf from high tide to a, a medium swell um, to a you know to bells bowl on the low tide with a bit of swell uh, expert level breakdown you know of those <laughs> surfers that you named um I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd imagine you've been paying a little bit of attention at least to the championship tour class of 2022. Are there mm -hmm. any men or women and or women in that class that you've seen that you're predicting to do well at this year's event at Bell's Beach? Uh, look, I mean, one surfer that I I hadn't seen a whole lot of, but when I saw him surf Bell's and I saw him surf Winky Pop, I was, whoa, this kid's really, really good, was Callan Robson. Mm. Um you know, I'd never seen him surf before. Um, I'd never even heard, I hadn't heard much about him. But when I saw him surf, you know, he'd never been to Bells before. When I saw him surf, I was, he just fit into the wave straight away. His turn selection, the way that he, the where he was turning on the waves um, and the type of maneuvers he was doing, 
I was sort of instantly I was just going, well, he's it's like he's been here 20 times, you know. Um, so I didn't expect that, um, more so because I hadn't seen him surf before. And obviously the other one on the women's side of the draw is India. Um, mm. You know, she's grown up in Janjak and knows the area, knows the region. Her style of surfing, um, with a, you know, she's got a lot of back foot power. I think that's going to be, that's historically, you know, as we sort of as I said earlier, that's something that really suits Bells and, and the, the waves here, um, Bells, Winky and Rincon. Um, so she's one that, you know, I, I obviously want her to go well, but also her surfing fits the wave really well. Uh, and, and I also think her surfing is very on point with where the judging is at on the women's scale at the moment. I just feel like they're, they're loving the service who are breaking the line and, you know, using that back foot jam to really do those radical direction changes. So, yeah, Callum and India, they were two that – India didn't surprise me, but as I said, Callum really did. Mm. Yeah, no, I think these are great picks. You know, of those waves, uh, Rincon, the bowl, and Winky Pop, for you personally, you know, at the height of your competitive career, did you have a preference in terms of which one you competed at? Um, no. Look, probably my thoughts were I didn't I actually didn't want it to be that good. Um, when I, I mean I love surfing great waves. That was probably where I was most comfortable in a heat jersey. But what happened when it was tricky or when it wasn't that good was that local knowledge came into play more Mm. so the little things that you knew about the break you were able to use them to your advantage or against your competitors you know i mean bells in 2009 the surf was really good so that was great but i i I did enjoy it when it was mid-tide or you know there was it was tricky probably of the three waves i do love surfing bells bowl that's probably the way that i probably I enjoy surfing the most. So that was kind of where I always wanted to be able to surf in, in a heat. Interesting. And would you say it was the same for you free surfing as well? Because I, you're having me down there a lot and then listen to surfers that are from there and also surfers that are traveling there too. A lot of them kind of have their preferences outside of a jersey too. And I'm curious, you know, even to this day, if the bowl is still, if, it, if it's sort of equitable between Winky Pop and the bowl, are you still going with Bell's Bowl or do you want to go out at Winky Pop instead? <laughs> yeah, it, it all probably depends. I would normally go out there with an open mind and have a look at where, how many people are surfing both right. takes and then make a choice. Hmm. But, I, you know, lots of people love Winky Pop um, and that's probably their preference to surf because um, it's more high performance maybe. It's, you know, it's, it's maybe a bit more room, a bit more space hmm. to surf in, with a crowd. Right. Um, I don't really have a, a preference. I just kind of try and gauge, gauge the crowd. But <laughs> but as as I sort of said, I think like I can see why you know a lot of the surfers love Winky Pop because it is maybe a few more opportunities and you can sort of um, you know maybe light it up a little more. It might let you do a few more um, innovative style maneuvers. Whereas sometimes Bell's is a little bit like Sunset, where it, the wave kind of dictates what you do a little bit more. So. Hmm which was great for me because I have a small maneuver repertoire, but maybe some of the guys like Idolo and Gabby and Philippe and John and those guys with that huge maneuver repertoire, they might sort of enjoy getting to use them all at Winky a bit more. 
I don't know. I, 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 one of the benefits of doing this podcast is I can argue that I, part of my work is going back and watching old highlight clips of the people I'm talking to. And I, I spent a good portion of my day watching your highlight clips from not too long ago. And I'd say that your repertoire was um, pretty diverse, much more diverse than I think people give you credit for. But you mentioned your current role as a CEO of Surfing Victoria. Uh, yeah, surfing, you know, as a sport in Australia is is certainly taken very very seriously relative to other parts of the world. And the you know state based uh, surfing organizations, you know, Surfing Victoria, Surfing New South Wales, etc., are very very unique. But but I don't think a lot of our listeners sort of understand what those are necessarily if they're not from there. Could you describe what Surfing Victoria is, what your experience with the organization has been, and, and how long you've been in the CEO role and what, what that actually is uh, for you as a, as a profession? Yeah, sure. So uh, a lot of our programs are government-funded you know, programs. We run, you know, we run everything from you know, operational side of Ripcal Pro. We run um, state all of our state titles, state-based events, similar to maybe the NSSAs um, in America, where we're deciding state champions through all codes, um, from stand-up paddleboarding, um, kneeboarding, surfing, longboarding, um, shortboarding. Um, we also run you know, a really big women's program, um, trying to you know get more women involved in the sport and promote equality in the lineup, which is a great program. Uh, we have a Surfers Rescue 24-7 program, which is a program that teaches aim to teach surfers how to perform CPR um, and use their surfboard um, in a rescue type scenario. Um, we run a really big Indigenous um, surfing program, a 23-year-long Indigenous surfing program um, where we go to communities, um, Indigenous communities, and promote water safety, surfing, um, stand-up paddleboarding if we go inland. And that particular program is probably one of the most rewarding programs that I've had the pleasure of, of being able to see um, evolve and continue. So, yeah, look, we're very um, diverse in the things that we try and promote um, and try and, I suppose, promote surfing from the elite to the grassroots um, through, as I said, through the, um, I suppose, grassroots programs um, all the way through to you know, state titles, group cup pro trials and helping deliver the Ripcall Pro. So there's a, there's a lot to it. But, yeah, look, my experience um, coming from, a, I suppose, a professional surfing surfing background where you don't have a whole lot of rules or barriers <laughs> in terms of a <laughs> nine-to-five or those types of things, um, my experience with surfing Victoria has been um, really good. I've loved working here. I've loved working with the people that I get to work with. I love that the staff and and the way that we work is it's not um it's more around promoting how good surfing is and how we can bring that to people from from all i suppose aspect aspects of life and and yeah it's it's been great i've been ceo going on six years i would say when i first got the job i was very green um i would probably say looking back i was in a bit over my head <laughs> um, but uh, again, really lucky to have some of the long-term staff here that were able to kind of help a lot and the board, the Surfing Victoria board helped me a lot to kind of grow and evolve into the role and now, as I said, yeah, I'm sort of six years in and um, yeah, still learning, still evolving and trying to just trying to be the best I can be with 
yeah, promoting Surf and Vic and, and the sport. That sounds incredible. And of all the, you know, initiatives and programs that you listed off there, I'd imagine too that someone with your deep background, and we are going to get to that in the next segment, but, you know, development of young talent, you know, to the elite level is something that I'd imagine not only interests you, but hugely benefits that community as well, just given your background. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, look, I mean, the high performance side of it and the ability, having the ability to coach up and coming surfers is a huge passion of mine. I, I love it. I love getting the chance to, you know, see and work with the kids who are kind of, you know, you're seeing them have break these performance barriers that they've never had the chance to do before or, or those types of things. You know, I work really closely with Caleb Warren mm. um, in at Surfing Vic um, and we, we created a, a surf coaching website called Surf Better Now to help, you know, a lot of the kids that we were working with in particular through remote regions of Victoria, trying to give them more access to um, some, I suppose, coaching that we couldn't, where we couldn't be on the beach, um, you know, in Malakuta, which is sort of eight, eight hours drive away or those types of things. We're trying to, yeah, just trying to give the best uh, opportunities for Victorian surfers as, as we possibly could and still do. Um, so, yeah, look, the high performance side of the business is a, look, I, I feel like it's one that, we should be pushing. Um, you know, we run events and we we have lots of kids who have these dreams and see Rip Curl Pro and they they want to be professional surfers. I, I just feel like it's a real important part of what we do is to try and help them have an opportunity to to reach those levels. And that's sort of why we're so passionate about the, the high performance space. This next question, I'm sure, is going to elicit an eye roll from you because I'm sure it's something you talk about every day. But I never get to talk; I rarely get to talk to people from Victoria, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask. <laughs> Not sure. So, and heat check me on this too, because I might get some of my details wrong. But my understanding: two of the big three surf companies, born and bred in Torquay, in in um, Rip Curl and Quicksilver. You've got world class waves. You've got an abundance of year round swell, not just on you know the surf coast, but the Mornington Peninsula, Phillip Island, et cetera. And yet, outside of a few, you know, Wayne Lynch, Gary Taylor, Troy Brooks, Glendon Ringrose, yourself, Nick Musgroff, Jack Perry, um, I think Tony Ray. Thank you very much. Uh, and <laughs> and and Nikki Van Dyke and, and now India Robinson, as you mentioned. Yep. It's still kind of a small amount of, of elite level surfers that have come out of a region where it does seem like there'd be plenty of sponsorship support. Obviously, there's great waves and, and the surfing is incredible. What is your theory on that? Look, I think um, it's probably, there, there might be something to do with that it's cold. There might be something to do with this. There's mm. heaps of, you know, lots of people sort of move into your other, you know, your sports with the footies and those mm. types of things. So I think maybe in the past, maybe it wasn't, maybe seen as as attainable it was as what it might have been over or might might be in the next few years and that's you know that's been a huge you know i sit here and i understand that there hasn't been a whole lot of victorian surfers continue on through to the you know the elite ranks but yeah i'm pretty hopeful with some of the talent coming through um that that they have you know they have the skills to follow india and nick and troy and some of victoria's best surfers and pursue that professional career into the elite ranks. And, yeah, some of the surfers coming through, Willis Drumat, Ellie Harrison, um, Xavier Huxtable, 
um, Will Watson. There's a bunch of kids coming through that uh, I'm really excited about. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they've got the drive to, to cut through and cut into the elite ranks uh, over the next few years. I love it. And, and it kind of gets to another question, which is one that comes up on this podcast quite a lot. And, you know, in America, and we have this conversation a lot outside of the podcast, and it's one of those things where if you're a young talent over the last probably five to 10 years, there's been this migration of young talent from all over the country to basically San Clemente. You know, they're like, yep. we're going to, yep. we're going here, we're going to surf lower trestles every day, blah, 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 which I understand from the standpoint of like, oh, it's a consistent wave and use, there's elite level competition there and that's iron sharpens iron, that whole thing. And I've talked to a lot of Australians where it's a version of that has happened too with the Gold Coast. Have you noticed that much with surfers from Victoria? Because in my experience, some of those people that we talked about, whether it was yourself or Jack Perry, the fact that you, or whoever, the fact that you guys were born and bred in those waves in Victoria not only gave you this really beautifully unique approach to surfing the waves there, but also when you'd go on tour and it was this awesome point of difference. And one thing that I'm kind of a little against in a way, just aesthetically, is kind of this homogenization of surfing. If if everyone's going to the same spot and surfing the same wave, it's like you kind of lose points yeah, of difference yeah. in terms of style and approach. And I'm wondering if that's something that you've noticed in, in Victoria since you've taken over as CEO of Surfing Vic. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely seen surfers move, move up to the Goldie and those things. Yeah, look, I think I think probably Mick, Joel and Dean and Damon Harvey and, you know, there was, there's a huge, there was a huge push coming from the Gold Coast, you know, Steph and, um, you know, a number of surfers in that region um, really driving Australian surfing. And, that you know, probably the consistency of the Superbank and those types of things really elevated Australian surfing for a, a long period of time. Look, I, I don't know what the right or the wrong way is. I, I you know, I see why people do that and I see why people go to trestles and those types of things because exposure is the exposure to brilliant surfing is so valuable for the you know for an emerging surfer you know and I imagine if you were to turn up trestles you might on any one day you see the Colopintos, the Gadauskas, Kelly might come down for a surf just before dark and Philippe might be out there and you get exposed to these surfers that they're doing phenomenal things and, and the kids see that at an, at an early age and think, oh, I can try that or do that. And they get largely inspired from a, a really young age. So I see the value in that, but I also see the value in the individuality that you're talking about and, you know, surfers like maybe like myself and Nick and, you know, there's surfers who have a, you know, grow up on different ways. So there's different strengths in their surfing. And, you know, I, I think ultimately there is no formula to where you, you go. I think it's in the athlete or in the emerging kids. If they've got the drive and they've got the passion, they'll they'll make it. You know, Taj was probably a great example of that. Even Adrian Bucken and those kids are from Avoca. So they were, whilst Taj is, you know, from Yellingup and whilst Adrian from Avoca, they're remote areas. They were sort of a hotbed of talent, but still, you know, there, was, there would have been a lot of time surfing with not many people and not seeing you know, that elite, elite talent in the lineup whenever they were in, in the surf. So, yeah, I, as I said, I, I'm probably back to your question. You see lots of people sort of hunting the hot spots and um, I think ultimately the, probably the, the driven kids, 
rise to the top and hopefully now out we're out of covid the the world is is getting smaller again and for you know for me a trip to the gold coast with my family is much easier than it was mm. 18 months ago um so and even probably as when i was growing up you know a trip to the gold coast seemed like it was so far away right um, yeah. you know like i don't know i wouldn't have even you know, i don't think i even surfed Jaramba beach until i was 15 or 16 you know every everywhere's a lot more accessible i just at this point i'm just I, I don't know the answer on whether the value is to move there or not <laughs> yeah no for sure and Duramba beach is uh probably the it's a podcast favorite i'll put it out there every time it comes up i get excited um <laughs> we're gonna take a, a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors when we come back we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into just who adam robertson is we'll be right back WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So Adam, you mentioned that you're in Torquay today, but you were not born and raised there. Is that right? You no. you you came from is it Cape Bridgewater, Portland area? Yep. Yep. So that's about uh 350 kilometers west of Torquay. Yeah, so I guess most of probably the viewers understand the the events historically Ripco has historically gone to Joanna. Joanna is mm-hmm. what I would say halfway home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so 
yeah, three about three and a half hours drive from Torquay. I, I grew up, I moved to, I, I spent a lot of time in Torquay. A lot of my family are from Torquay. I spent every school holidays in Torquay throughout my, my growing up. But yeah, I finished school in, in Portland, um, Portland Secondary College. And um, yeah, I still love going back there. It's, it's sort of what I would still class as my home. Uh, and I still feel the most comfortable there. <laughs> if, um, you know, a lot of my friends growing up still live there and have families there and things like that. So yeah, I I still love when I get the chance to go back there. But yeah, I mean, I'm in Torquay most of the time now. I've, I think I moved to Torquay when I was maybe 24, something like that. So it's quite a while ago. Yeah, right. So so what was life like growing up in Cape Bridgewater? Are we talking like 70s, 80s, 90s? What, mom and dad, brothers, sisters? What was the setup uh, like for you there? Well, I was born in 82. Um, so we lived at Cape Bridgewater, um, which is a beautiful uh, beach. It's probably a little bit like Newquay. <laughs> it sort of just breaks all over the place, but it's a fun beach break. I live, I just could just walk down the street and surf there um, a lot. And there's a lot of sort of similar to all the Victorian coastline. There's, there was lots of surf and uh, my dad was a great surfer. He's a great surfer. And I spent a lot of my time surfing with, with him and a couple other um, friends. Uh, I was probably the youngest surfer in the town for quite a long time. Um, yeah, it was uh, great. I just spent all the whole time surfing with my dad. And then I remember, um, yeah, probably when I turned 18 and I finished school, you know, I, I people sort of say, oh, was it crowded? And that, those types of things down there. I think I probably would have spent about 60% of my surf surfing on my own, which I look back at, I think that's a bit weird <laughs> because now with kids and stuff, I'm, I, I don't necessarily like surfing by myself a whole lot. But back then, I, I just loved it. I loved, loved surfing by myself and chasing waves and finding them and scoring and it's unreal. What's the difference now that you have kids? Is it just you'd rather be surfing with them or are you worried you might get hurt? What's, what's the change in psychology? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, like I guess, yeah, you just kind of you know, your kids and your family are in, in the back of your mind more now, whereas back then I was just wanting to find good waves. <laughs> But uh, but no now but now definitely now definitely I I'm at a place where I I would just I just love surfing with my kids and want to do that and then eventually they'll we'll go and surf all the waves that I love surfing we'll do it together. <laughs> you know you mentioned how you know, the world's gotten so much smaller in in recent years certainly since the information age has hit but you know back then for you to be exposed to world class surfing and for you yourself to develop into a world class surfer must have been challenging right because even though i'm sure you had access to great waves like not having that 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 proof of concept in front of you and not having that accessibility to it do you think about that at all and do you reflect on on how you're able to develop almost in in a in a vacuum there and in a way that you know develop to the elite levels in a lot of ways yeah look probably my only my well my only exposure to elite level surfing was surf, watching surf movies mm. i watched and the only, you know, the only real exposure that I had to elite, where I got to see elite surfers in the flesh, was through Rip Curl Pro. You know, I can remember so many Rip Curl Pros. You know, from Richie Collins winning, sitting on the beach, to Kelly winning his first bell, um, where the bell fell off his the bell. Um, so that you know, Rip Curl Pro was probably one that was the only opportunity for me to see that top end surfing in the flesh and the rest was just surf movies search one search two searching for tom Curran, pump 
Um, and all, you know, all the Sarge's movies, that was probably like those, you know, and then as I got older, it went into all the other momentum generation, things like that. But as a kid, like I remember Search 2 and Pump were like on repeat and the Green Iguana <laughs> just over and over. Um, were there other interests for you when you were growing up, other sports, other pastimes or sort of things that you're interested in? Or was it you sort of just found your, found your niche with surfing and stuck with it from a young age? Yeah, look, I mean, as I said, like my dad was a hardcore surfer, so I was, you know, into it pretty young. Um, I loved skateboarding. We had a skateboard ramp in the backyard, which I think was pretty innovative at the time. Um, and I, I, look, I loved AFL football um, as well. I played that for a while um, until I sort of got to be maybe like 14 or something. Then dad just sort of said, nah, mate, we're going surfing, which was... <laughs> At the time, I remember being like, oh, you know, I kind of just moved into high school and I wanted to play with my friends at footy. But then um, it was pretty quick to realize that it was a great decision to not play footy anymore and just hunt ways with dad and a couple of our other mates, which was awesome, awesome childhood. And competitive surfing, um, was was that something you did from a young age? Was it something that you were attracted to from from going and seeing the Rip Curl Pro at, at Bells? And and I guess my my follow-up question to that is when did the self-awareness start to creep in that you might actually be really, really good at this and, and you, you want to make it a profession? Um, for me, look, I didn't do and I went would have done maybe one comp a year till I was about 14 or 15 like I didn't I was so far away that I didn't really I wasn't probably maybe sure what to do or like how to do it or how I was going to get there or those types of things and I remember kind of dipping my toes in maybe when I was in year eight I think that was like I think I turned 14 in year eight in high school in and then I started I almost maybe made the state team and then um, then I remember that was when I got a after that year, my dad sort of contacted Simon Anderson because my family, we, we've known Simon for a long, long time since I was born. And dad, that was when Kelly got a magic Simon through the mid-90s, maybe 96. I got a Simon Anderson and then that was the first board. Then yeah, I think that was the board that kind of opened the door to me improving my surfing really quickly. Um, and then that I don't think I ever... I wanted to probably wanted to be a pro surfer for a, you know through my childhood, but I probably don't. Underneath it all, I wasn't really sure how to do it. <laughs> it's cha- it changes so much year to year, right? And like yeah. and even now, like we're kind of working through this, stabilize our new three tier system and actually create again like stabilization for young surfers and the people that support them whether they're families or sponsors to kind of go like oh that's the roadmap but as mm. you pointed out i mean i've been it's my 17th year at the company even when i started it's so different to what it is today and certainly through the 70s 80s and 90s it was just constantly changing so as you as you said it's like well it's i don't know how to do this even if i wanted to do it it's, it's there's no kind of like road for me to follow yeah yeah that's right like it was in particular just sort of being from a town where no one, mm-hmm. no one was doing the same thing as, or no one wanted to do the same thing that I wanted to do. It was very foreign for my friends or maybe parents. You know, it was hard to maybe ask what to do. But I probably, I remember in year 11, I made the Australian team to go to the like 
I, equivalent, I guess, the ISA junior, World Juniors. Mm. Um, and I made the semis at that event. And that was probably, I got to spend time with like Bede and Jay Thompson and Adrian Barkin and like the team of really good surfers. Uh, and I never thought I was as good as those guys. Like Sean Cansdell, um, Dan Ross. Mm. I never thought I was as good as those guys, but probably it gave me a glimpse of maybe how good I needed to be. So I sort of go home and be quite driven to try and improve and those types of things. Being from a relatively remote part of the coastline, as we've been talking about, and you know, after getting exposed to that Australian junior team and going back and working on you know, parts of your surfing, what parts of your surfing did you specifically work on at the time, but also did you realize that you kind of had some advantages or some strengths in your own surfing or at least in your ability to develop those parts of your surfing just being from that that part of the coastline? Yeah, look, I suppose probably to answer your question on what I thought I wanted to work on, honestly, I didn't really know. I actually just worked on getting really fit more <laughs> so than, than you know any specific carve or anything like that for a long period of time. I went and did some stuff with Martin Dunn as well as a kid and he was great. He was really great to me um, and really helpful. And probably the one thing that I, I love in that coming from the remote area was that, you know, you might watch you know, Sabotage um, like 20 times with your mates and you'd go for a surf and you would catch a wave in every set, you know, so you might get the chance to try the move that you saw Taj doing or whatever you would get the chance to try it over and over and heaps of times because, you you know, there wasn't a whole lot of surfers out. So, you'd, you know, you'd get heaps of chances to try it or you'd catch every set wave or, you know, whatever. So that that was a real advantage of, you know, coming from that remote, you know, those remote areas is that sometimes maybe at Snapper you, you might paddle for an hour and get one or two good ones, you know, whereas it, um, you know, in the remote locations you're on a wave every couple of minutes or every set. Okay, so we're watching a lot of sabotage. We're getting hyper fit. We have this whole coastline that is essentially a playground for training. Walk me through the steps over the next couple of years in terms of your career as a professional surfer. Were there sponsorship deals that that pushed you into the next level? Were there competitive results? Did you start traveling internationally? How, how did... How did the idea of being a professional surfer when you were on that Australian junior national team um, sort of manifest into being a touring qualifying series surfer? Yeah, I guess, look, it was just about kind of asking questions. <laughs> you know, like um, at the time, like Troy Brooks was doing the QS, things like that. So you could kind of ask him or um, ask Lyndon sort of how, what to do. Um, so in Australia at the time, we had a, really strong billabong pro junior series or a pro junior series and that that had lots of you know lots of the guys that went on to do really well on that tour so it was a really strong um junior series um and that was sort of the first taste that i had of like i suppose going around to other events or following i suppose a, a junior tour in australia and then off off the back of that it was sort of at the time where you could kind of you could just enter QSs, you know, like you didn't need a rating, you know, like so like you'd go to the Margaret River Masters and you'd start in the round of 200 and 
24 or 250 or whatever and you could just kind of surf your way through and like accumulate points through those you know like so at the time you know we'd go to margaret's you'd go to newey and you'd start in the round at you know 250 or whatever and <laughs> surfing against mr cliff and whoever yeah yeah like you know and that was kind of how, and then in the end like we ended up going to europe and then you know, you kind of, I just kind of like, I think in it was 2003 or two, it was 2002 or three. Like, I think I went, you know, from like a hundred and two hundredth on the ratings or something to like 60th or 70th or something. So then I made the final at the new key um, board masters and I made a bunch of at the time, like, remember, like at the time you'd make the round of 64 and that was like where you the main, like the guys on the top 44 they'd start in that round so yeah. i made a bunch of the main rounds of the qs and then it just sort of ended up giving me enough points to sort of keep trying <laughs> it, it is so i mean I, I like how you bring that up where it's like you know when you started and even when i started which you know um at the asp not competing but working at the events it's 0506. I remember going to QSs all over North America and they're just being like, no, nah, there's three people in this heat because we didn't have enough people. You know, it was yeah, just, just go. there's so much <laughs> opportunity compared yeah. to now where it's like, it's not that there's not a lot of events. There are a lot of events, but there's just mm-hmm. so many surfers that are trying to get in. And yeah, I think yeah. that's one of the things from a design standpoint that we need to work on is just ensuring that that new regional qualifying series has a, a big enough kind of door for everyone that wants to come in can get in because otherwise you're just kind of you know twiddling your thumbs being like i can't get into these events yeah that's right like i think and i'd probably also i'll look back and you know some of the highlights of my life were you know you'd go from australia you'd go to durban you'd go to durban you'd stay in south africa for a month because you'd go down to Bay or something you'd go from Bay, you'd go over to the u.s open US Open, you might go to England and then do the Europe leg. And those, you know, sometimes I think, oh, like some of the kids coming through there, that it was, that was some of the best times. You, you know, I think back and they were just such awesome times, you know, for lots of people you meet, you know, you met so many great friends and those types of things aside from doing the events. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know um, how to improve it because it, at the time, it was much easier to get sponsorship and those types of things. So the idea of having enough money to travel the world was maybe in a way a little more attainable than some of the, you know, like at the moment you see Cal Robson, India Robinson, they don't have major sponsors in there. India is number seven or eight in the world right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure like there's more surfers on tour who are struggling for sponsorship. Uh, it's a tough gig to try and I suppose save that money to go and do the tour. So that's where the positives of that it's like the Australian leg and then they qualify for the Challenger Series. I guess it's that way where they can get into the events and then maybe keep going if they're going all right. Yeah, sure. I think it's a way of um, I, I'd, I like to think of it as a way of like resetting the board in a way that makes sense. Mm. from a pacing standpoint and a financial standpoint but also you know the industry it's such an interesting thing because for for so long even when i started 
the the sport was a mechanism of the industry. It was you know it was ran by the surfers and the the endemic uh, industry, and in a way it, it it was a framework for the industry to kind of operate around where to put its money, which surfers to place bets on, et cetera, et cetera. And because we've had a, a bunch of years of sort of and especially the last couple of years of disruption, I think resetting the board in this way allows the industry to look at it and say, "Great, I understand how I take this kid from here to there." And it, yep. it's going to be there every year, and I have the confidence to invest in that person. But you know, going back to your qualifying series campaign, it is one thing to be able to travel the world for sure, especially as a young person. But you know that there's a ton of pressure on people too, and being away from home, and you know, not everyone is cut out for that. You have to be a fairly well put together person to be able to deal with it psychologically. It sounds like you were you loved it. Um, and, and I'm wondering if you've ever given any thought to what you attribute that mentality to, if it was just good upbringing, you just felt comfortable being away from home, you didn't worry too much about, uh, you know, substance abuse or, or, or anything like that, because, you know, we, we both know people that, that couldn't kind of do that. Yeah, yeah, no, look, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I loved being at home in Victoria, purely because as we sort of spoke about earlier, like I love my strength was surfing good waves. Like I loved surfing good waves, you know, which is probably not very smart as a competitor trying to jump through the WQS, you know, trying to jump a WQS hurdle. But yeah, I probably look. I had a we had some great friends that we travelled with, and we had a great time. And sometimes we got good surf, other times we didn't. But it was um, it was a lot of fun, and it, you know, we were lucky, really lucky, to be able to do that. You know, you'd come home and, you know, some of your friends had been working, you know, or, you know, I think it was just probably about being, uh, you know, understanding that we were very fortunate um, to have the opportunity to do that. Um, I still think I'm really fortunate to have had the opportunity to do that. Of course. Did you have a contingency option if the professional surfing thing didn't work out, going to university or working in an apprenticeship or anything? Uh not like look i finished year 12 i did all my exams i got into university um for primary school teaching that was mm -hmm. what i wanted to kind of pursue um if i didn't go down the, the surfing pathway um and then yeah look, sort of one thing led to another and then coming out of surfing i had the opportunity to come and work at surfing victoria and my, my first job at surfing victoria was just high performance um coaching director um which was great because i got to do things that I love, which is talk about surfing. And I also got to work with kids who are really passionate about surfing, which I'm, I'm really passionate about. So, um, yeah, it was a really, I don't want to say an easy progression, but it was it was something that I enjoyed. And as I said earlier, I was really lucky to have the people um, around me um, in the Surfing Victoria team that kind of, you know, sometimes understood that I just needed to go surfing for a little while. <laughs> it's good to be amongst like-minded individuals. Back to your uh, competitive career, I want I want to get to the the top of the mountain here because I've got two moments, and these might not be the two moments that you want to talk about. Um, there might be a third that that should be in contention for the competitive peak for you. Two thousand eight, uh, you win the O'Neill Coldwater Classic in Scotland, Thurso, which was. Yep. I don't know what it was called at the time the QS six thousand, ten thousand prime, whatever the, the denotation was yep. at the time. Big deal. I never got to go to that event, but have heard and heard and heard 
and heard that it is the best event that the uh, sport has ever run for a number of reasons, <laughs> um, which you won. And I think as yeah. part of the uh, winning package, you get like a sword and a parcel of land and a lordship. So that's pretty cool. And then the following year, I have the 2009 Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, which we're going to get to in detail in a second. But yep. is there a third contender for for the highlight of uh, highlights of your competitive career? Um, look, to be honest, I don't think I was a great competitor at all. I think a lot of that's probably stems from growing in a room, up in a road area, no ball rider club. I there was lots of elements that I was shocking at with competitive surfing. So in particular, probably hassling and those types of things, which I'm so happy to see that and annoyed to see that um four man priorities coming. <laughs> you were ahead of your that, time, man. <laughs> I what can I, I say? I think yeah, looks uh, Scotland was was great. That was a aside from the the winning you know, side of that event, that event was so amazing, you know, like the scenery, the people, like the people of Thurso and that were just so cool, you know. We would go, you know, you'd go, go surfing and it would be freezing and it would be this and that. You'd get out and there was, you know, there's pubs everywhere. You'd go and you'd have a meal, the fires are going. That was just, it was truly an, an awesome awesome event o'neill like when they were doing those cold water series events they were like cutting edge they were mobile they they were they, you know that was i think we surfed like three of you know there was maybe three breaks that we surfed for that comp and they were quite a way apart hmm. um i forget the names like obviously thurso the right in the middle of town is that was where the finals day was but there was another like a right slab, like 10 minutes drive away. We surfed there. We surfed another break for the round one. And they had that big, you know, huge, big like military van that they would deck out yeah. with the, everything. And, you know, that was that was like cutting edge because I, I just think those events were so cool because, you know, surfing is so much about like searching, you know, searching for waves and you find them and you score and they were so on board with that, and that was yeah, that was super cool. I, you know, I, it's really it I was still, really smart. I was gonna say it's really smart to have O'Neill because I remember what you was employed at the ASP at the time too, and so many of the you know um, sponsors and they, they wanted you know warm water event here and sort of sell board shorts mm-hmm. and bathing suits here and stuff. But O'Neill's DNA was you know we're wetsuits, so they created this cold water classic series, which had the Scotland event, it had, you know, Cape Town, mm. Steamer Lane. Yeah. I think they had an event in Tasmania. It was just so cool, you know. I'm I'm yeah. I'm gonna put it out there. I think they should they should re re-energize that. I think it was really rad. Yeah, and you know, like I I think the same. Like I think, oh like it's like I sit here, I love the fact that G Land's back on tour. I love I love watching those waves. But I also love watching, you know, like when it's greedy, you know, like Mm. I, you know, I remember, you know, you go for, go to, you know, you go to Scotland and like, I remember have boots, gloves, hood, weddies, and it, you know, everyone was in that same boat where it was rough and it was fantastic. Growing up in Victoria and just hearing you talk about, you know, your competitive career, you know, doing well in England, like winning in Scotland, like we're going to get to to Bells in a moment here, but do you feel like uh, you had an advantage just in cold weather events just because of where you grew up? 
I think I just liked wearing a wedgie. <laughs> I think that's part so, of it, though, right? Mm. I think of it too, where it's like you know, like. I'm just going to butcher this because it's a baseball example, but pretend it's cricket. You know, like in baseball, <laughs> like, you know, batters warm up with a weight on the bat, yep. right? And so when they they get out and actually swing, it, it's faster. And I, I always think of that where surfers grow up in cold water. They're, number one, used to wearing a lot of rubber number uh, or neoprene. And also that when they they take it off to go surf in board shorts or whatever, it's like it's kind of taking the weight off the bat in a way. And they I've just noticed that whether it's, you know, surfers from Victoria or Central Coast of California, they have an extra zip, you know, when they're surfing without the wetsuit. And even when they are, because they're just sort of used to kind of resistance training in a way. Yeah, I think for me, like, I don't I don't really notice the weddies because I'm in a, in a more time. I think I just mm. actually felt more comfortable, like, in myself yeah. in a wetsuit. Right, no, nothing to do with extra weight or less or whatever. I think I just, that was one thing I just enjoyed. That was the armor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's not Scotland. Yeah, back to Scotland was fantastic. Probably the best The best thing about Scotland, like, was that we all won the sword. Like, we won a big, like, a swordsmith-made sword. That was, like, I, I forget all the champions. I think Nathan Hedge, Russell Winter, Adam Melling, Brent Dorrington, Royden, and myself, I think. That's a pretty um, good recall, actually. <laughs> All the champions. I think you're right. That's great. I think that's it. But yeah, I think. So you have the sword. Where is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It took months to get back to Australia because I couldn't <laughs> take it in my luggage, obviously. But sure. Um, yeah, it's in my office, just maybe 20, 10 meters away. Love Sometimes it. when we get big cardboard boxes, we you cut them in half <laughs> <laughs> for a bit of fun. How, how, how sacred. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to 2009. 2009, you win the Surfing Victoria Trials. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I love the local trials, and I think every event, uh, whether it's a CT or a Challenger Series event or a QS event or a Pro Junior, whatever, I think they should absolutely have local trials to get into the main event for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's a great way to work with the community. And then number two... I just think it's so cool if you grow up in that town and all of a sudden, you know, the person that you stood in line at the coffee shop next to is now surfing against a Kelly Slater or something. I think it's it's so important. Do you have any memories of, of that that year in the trials, who you're surfing against and what it felt like to win? Because I, I was there um, mm. and I and I it, it it especially the way surfing Victoria run it, it feels like a major event in and of itself. Yeah, no, I remember, yeah, I remember lots of the trials. I probably remember, like, 2008, I was really close to qualifying for the CT, so I remember going in and, you know, training really hard in the off-season because I was really disappointed in myself and I was really angry. Um, so I remember coming into Bell's sort of probably having an attitude of, you know, like I felt like I should have been there and I was bitterly disappointed that I wasn't. Um, so I, going into the trials, um, I remember. I, I remember I surfed against Jack Perry in the semis. I think that was a. I remember that being a really like a tough heat. You know, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I really have to surf well here because Jack, he's very fit. He surfs bells really well. And I remember that day. I think it was like you know, four to six foot in hell in southwesterly, and it was really wild. And yeah, I remember. I think I surfed against Carl Wright in the final, and I won the final. Carl and Jack both they won they won wild cards in years after me. 
um, which was great because they're both really great Victorian surfers. Yeah, like, then I remember going into the main round. I, the, the funny thing was that year was there was like there was no elimination rounds. That was the year there was right. a cutoff. There was like yep. a cutoff in August and there was no elimination rounds. So, yeah, look, I, I got a wild card, went into round one. Round one was elimination. I think like Kelly and, you know, like Mick and I think they might have started in round two. Like for some – I. Like I forget. They like- did. I know. I remember what you're talking about. It wasn't so the the we had a field reduction in 2010 where we went from 45 to or 48 man events to 36 man events, as well as the mid year rotation. We had that through 2011. 2009 was when we experimented with, as you pointed out, we we got rid of the non elimination round. Yeah. So all the top seeds got seeded directly into round two, and it was. Yeah man-on-man from the start of round one. Yes. I'm pretty yep. sure that we stopped that after the Bells event because I think there was a small mutiny because, after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I think because uh, I remember I think myself and Owen were wild cards for that event. And I think Owen beat Dane in round one, I think, and then Owen beat Kelly in round two. And then I beat Chris Davidson. Chris Davidson came off of a really big result at the Gold Coast. Mm. And – um I don't know what happened, but I do remember having Chris Davidson. Chris Davidson turned up and he had a cast on his wrist. Mm. And I remember in round one, he needed a score, but he could barely, he couldn't paddle that fast because he had the cast on his wrist. And he had priority and was trying to get back to, to sit on me and block <laughs> me. But he, he didn't get there. I got away and got the score right at the very end. Yeah, that was like super, super lucky because it, I think if he didn't have a cast on his arm, he would have got to me and the heat would have been over. <laughs> but I actually remember being really disappointed. Like I didn't serve great in round one for that event, but I remember being disappointed that I didn't surf great, but also, you know, those situations where you almost lose and it creates a different mindset for you moving forward and that's sort of opened the door to the rest of the event, I suppose. Yeah, and so in round two, you you take on former national teammate B. Dervidge. Round three, you got Tom Whitaker. The quarterfinals, yep. you've Hawaiian Kakoa Bacalso. Semifinals, you got Freddie Patacia. And then in the finals, you meet up with pre-world champion version of Joel Parkinson, but certainly, um, you know, longtime favorite to win the world title. So 2009 may have been like peak powers, Joel Parkinson. Yeah, well, he just came off winning snapper that year. Yeah. And then, so that was the year he first hurt his ankle. It was, yeah. I think he went three out of the first five events or something like that that year. Yeah, he had a crazy run. Yeah, he was pretty unstoppable at that time. But going back to what we were talking about before with, because there's such a strong community of surfers in the state of Victoria, but as we pointed out, few that make it to this level. And you had this incredible run at Bells, just taking out elite level surfers left and right. Did you, a couple of things, I guess. Did your psychology change from that opening round heat against Chris Davidson through to the finals? Could you feel both the support from the local community and maybe the pressure to perform as, as you got closer and closer to the bell. What was it, your experience like on those days? Yeah, no, I think um, probably what I felt was I, I actually felt a lot of support. But for the, like one thing probably a lot of people in my inner circle kind of know about, but a lot of people that in this audience don't know about. I don't think that whole event, I never stepped in the competitors area once. Mm. Like I, I got changed on the beach every day 
every day before a heat, between heats. I was on the beach with all of my family and all my friends. Um, as the event wore on, the friend group got bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, look, I didn't, I never went in the competitors area. I just stayed on the beach with everyone, everyone else. And that probably, that worked for me. But yeah, so that, I probably had my inner circle of people that we were just together enjoying the moment and um, the rest kind of wasn't really getting in other than, as I said, I felt the support. I could hear the crowd cheering on waves, um, which was cool, uh, amazing. But, yeah, I don't, I never felt like it affected me in a bad way because I was just kind of, as I said, I was just with my friends on the beach just getting to surf great waves and getting a jet ski out every time. Yeah. I mean, I was there. It was it was palpable from the uh, at least from the administration containers and the competitors. There, everyone was pretty excited. So yeah, it was a lot. Um, I got a couple more topics, and we got some listener questions. But we're going to take one more quick break to go to word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential, and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, so 2008 qualifying yeah. series campaign, agonizingly close to, to qualifying. Uh, 2009, this incredible run at the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, finishing runner-up to Joel Parkinson. Where are you at at this point for as like a professional surfer? Like, what is what are you thinking goal-wise? And and at what point do you start to ease into this next chapter of your professional life? Well, at that stage, I was still, you know, I was still really motivated to qualify. And then, yeah, it just sort of got to a point where I just was a bit like, oh, I just sort of, I think I, at the time I was 28 or 29 and I just sort of said, oh, I'd spend a lot of money going to surf 
waves are, are small and beach breaks, I sort of said, oh, I want to spend a bit of time surfing some good ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, travel into some really good ones where I knew I was going to get barreled and those things. So I just kind of called it and I was happy to call it. Yeah, and then, yeah, sort of got married not long after that and had kids and, yeah, here we are, which is still doing what I really like to do, which is get to go surfing and live close to the beach and those things. So, yeah, it was, as I sort of said, the transition wasn't easy. Uh, and if it's pumping, I still get annoyed because I want to go surfing <laughs> if I can't and those types of things. But uh, it's uh, life's good. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we touched on a little bit, you know, living in Torquay, I'm sure you miss some of the waves from down south, but it sounds like you're on the the path to developing your kids to, to wanting to come down, enjoy any down there and surf waves anyway. Yeah, through COVID last year, we went down to Portland for about 10 days. We knew Torquay, I think Torquay was going to get locked down. And right. so we went down to Portland for, we sort of got stuck down there for like 10 or 12 days and we got some great waves that, you know, and I was able to take my son surfing rubber light, you know, light fires on the beach and those types of things. And I remember so many times saying, oh, this is what me and um, this is what me and I say to my son, I was like, me, this is what me and Papa did. Like, he, this is what we used to always do. Like, so that was, yeah, that was super cool. That was, yeah, that was awesome. At, at eight, has he, and I guess the last time we would have ran was 2009, so he would have been five. Has has he been to the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach before? And and if so, yeah, does he, he has. does he kind of does it make an impact on him? Is he... Yeah, he doesn't really remember it. He sort of remembers like some people like he's met like he met Kelly and those types of things and he's like Carissa comes over and sees our family when she comes and so he remembers those things and he sort of doesn't really remember the comp that much. Right. But I'm super excited this this year. Because he's sort of old enough, he knows, like, he loves, like, Griffin Colapinto and he loves, like, a couple of the surfers. So, yeah, he just, because I remember as a kid, like, you know, you try and get autographs on the beach and things like that. Yeah. Like, so, I'm, I think he'll start to do that, which will be funny. Like, I think I think I, maybe I would have been, like, 9 or 10. I got Tom Curran's autograph on the backtrack at Bells. Like, you know, the backtrack that all the, yeah, yeah. like, you don't <laughs> walk down through the stairs. You walk down the back, like, mud track. I got yeah. his autograph th- there. He was just coming in from a surf. And my dad's like, hey, you should get his autograph. <laughs> so I'm hoping like, you know, he'll he'll get, I don't know, hopefully he gets like Griffins or something, you know, because he freaks out on Griffin. So be cool. That's so cool. It, sound, it sounds like he's sort of retracing your own footsteps because you got to go there when you were a kid as well. And is someone who's been so intertwined with the Curl Pro Bell Speech pretty much your entire life, I am interested if you have a surfer or a few surfers that you would put up there in your own personal list of the, the best to have ever surfed bells in, in your experience. Is there anyone that comes to mind or any few people that come to mind from, from your perspective where you're like, Oh yeah, they're, they're in this small elite level of people. Yeah. Aki for sure. Um, I think anyone would say Aki's probably arguably the best surfer to surf there. I love watching Matt Hoy surf out there and like those two are kind of, you know, they're kind of like Australian favorites. But I always enjoyed watching those guys surf out there. I remember as a kid, I surfed Winky Pop, and I remember Matt Hoy surfing Winky Pop at the same time. And I remember he was riding a, a channel bottom with a red bottom, and I and I just 
always remember how fast he was going. Like I was sitting at lowers and he was surfing down past me and I remember just going like, oh, my God, like he was just going so fast. Um, so I remember, you know, Oki, I remember Matt Hoy a lot. Like Kelly, obviously, he was always one that I wanted to watch. Um, Shane Herring was always like a huge favorite because me and one of my other friends, one of my other good friends rode for Insight, same boards as Shane Herring rode. So we would always like watch this movie called The Good Planet and try and watch Shane Herring surf. But there's there's been lots of great surfers. I think lots of like even like Rob Machado used to surf bells, unbelievable. But I don't know if he ever went very well out there, but... Mm. Him, like Bobby Martinez was amazing out there. Obviously, Joel, like watched Joel sort of competed in similar age divisions as Joel growing up and he was always amazing um, out there. Oki, Oki was, he was almost like the fan favourite too. You know, everyone would just swarm to watch his heats, especially when it was good. Yeah, I think that's an excellent list. It actually takes us into the questions from our Instagram community. So um, you can follow us at, at the lineup pod. We appreciate everyone that sends in questions. And for you, Adam, we had a lot of questions, but we've uh, <laughs> narrowed it down to uh, to three. The uh, The first question is from at Andy Cashford, who asks, what is it about the Bells Beach break that allows only the best to win the comp? And obviously there's that um, adage that, you know, no kook has ever rung the bell, which I think is pretty true. But I guess, is there something specific about that wave where, you know, really, really the, the best are the ones who win it. Yeah, look, I think it's, uh, you know, like it's similar, you know, when you watch J-Bay and you see surfers like technical glitches at times because it's such mm. a long, that long open face that, you know, the best technical surfers are able to adapt to the wave face and the, the changes in the lineup and the changes from Bell's Bowl to maybe to Rincon to Winky. Yeah, it's, I think it's one of those ways that just seems like the technical, the technically strong surfers are able to adapt and, and are suited to the wave because it's the space on the wave face to, to execute your maneuvers. That's a great answer. Next question is from at HarryMoore91. What is your favorite surf spot on the surf coast that is not Bell's Beach? Uh, um probably have to bleep it out after you say it or something no no oh, look as i said earlier i love surfing winky pop um it's super fun wave and yeah I, I really like surfing there a lot that's uh yeah my son's just starting to be able to surf there now too so i love it even more get to surf it a bit more but yeah probably winky pop love just because you, you, you take off and you go fast you go so fast and you get to use your power on on you know you can come flying into a turn and that always feels good Last question is from at Miguel J. Clemente, who asks, what is your favorite thing about being a father? Do you want your kids to compete on the championship tour someday? Um, favorite thing about being a dad is you just, you know, we just have a lot of fun and, you know, we just muck around. <laughs> we just muck around the whole time, really. And do I want my kids to surf on the WSL tour? I would just love the chance to share surfing with my kids so we can, you know, do it as a family. That's kind of what I remember growing up is, you know, surfing with my dad and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And that was awesome. I probably, that's probably just that awesome experience you look back on is just surfing heaps and surfing, you know, all those great surf memories that just, that's probably a priority. I think all the rest is up to them. If they want to do it, I'll help them or support them. 
but the rest is if we can get to some surf trips and surf together then that's that's pretty damn good i love it i think that's good timing i think my kids just walked in the door behind me or something (laughs) tromping around so that was it for the instagram community questions we're now down to our final segment this is the lightning round so these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can all right first question if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life single fin twin fin thruster quad bonzer or finless which would you choose uh three fin thruster uh six channel i love it specific uh coffee or tea i don't drink either Mm. burrito or pizza uh pizza last book you read i'm not actually sure no i read a book last night i think it was uh uh, harry potter uh written a harry potter movie uh book with my son when he goes to bed (laughs) he falls asleep about two pages in (laughs) let's do it i gotta get that book off you uh best surf film ever pump or searching for tom curran one wave you never have to go back to uh i never have to go back to newkey no i really like newkey actually um but you know the place i i I never liked i i went there twice was fernando denarona i went there twice and i caught closeouts for two weeks um and i said i'd never go back but i'd probably go back now but at the time i was like oh god i just <laughs> flew like halfway around the world and i like caught was closeouts all week <laughs> <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life and you can dream cast it could be no one out conditions whatever oh it's easy g-land mm. every day of the week g-land i love that place interesting answer best person to share a lineup with well my kids or my dad Great answers. Worst person to share a lineup with? Gee whiz. I don't, I don't know how to... Are you, I'll, do, do you, are you supposed to name names or... You, you do you whatever just, you like. No, we, we rarely get names to this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone that's like snake will snake me all the time, but I hate when people paddle underneath me and then like straight to my inside. So someone's doing that, that ticks me off heaps. <laughs> It's a good answer. But I could I could name names, but it's probably yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's good. You're the CEO now. You got to diplomacy is a big part of that. I got. Um, there wouldn't be anyone from Victoria, I'm sure. Um, last no. one. Uh, finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by surfing well into my old age. I love it. Adam Robertson, thank you so much for your time, your insights. Thank you for everything you've done um, just to entertain us throughout your competitive career and your free surfing career. And thanks for everything you're doing um, for the next generation. And yeah, good luck this coming week at Bells with everything and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Thanks. Hope to catch up soon, Dave. Sure. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Australia's Adam Robertson. Today's episode brought to you by Visit Victoria. Hope you enjoyed it. Stop number four on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour at the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach has commenced competition with the world's best surfers taking on one another at one of our sport's most prestigious venues, streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumiye, and the Wadarong Aboriginal people. Hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.